Well, this summer we're in a sermon series on the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to dig into a parable that touches on one of those subjects that we often consider taboo or off limits in polite conversation. Money. Money. But while we might choose to think it's awkward and shouldn't be talked about, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see if you go through the gospels, Jesus talked about it a lot. In fact, 11 of his 39 parables dealt with money. That means 28% of the time when Jesus went parable on us, it was because he wanted to talk about money. Why? Well, if you've been listening and paying attention at all, and I hope you have, I keep telling you, parables were designed to shock us and shake us out of our conventional ways of thinking. And so it would appear, if you examine the content of his parables... That money, more than any other subject, is one of those areas that Jesus thought we needed to be shocked and shaken because we're just not thinking like God wants us to think about our money. So, buckle up and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, where I'll begin reading in verse 13. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, I'm going to go all the way through verse 40. Because it's just that good. It's God's word. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a, say it, parable. He spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there I'll store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take your ease, eat, Drink, be merry, but God said to him, you say it, say it again, fool, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, nor about the body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food and the body's more than clothing. Consider the ravens, consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn and God feeds them of how much more value are you Than they. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, 
oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows. He knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. That when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master when he comes will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if you should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, I want to clarify something before we jump into these verses and dig into it and begin to talk about money the rest of the sermon. I want you to look at verse 1 in chapter 12 that I did not read because it gives a context of what was going on and who was Jesus talking to when this sermon went down. What was going on and who was he talking to? You see it in verse 1, chapter 12. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all. So picture this. This is still at the point in his ministry. There were points in his ministry where huge crowds were wanting to hear him. And his, his popularity was like huge. This is one of those points still. Huge crowd. And they're frenzied with enthusiasm to get close so that they're even trampling across each other to get a good spot to hear what he has to say. That's the context. And then notice who he chooses to talk to. In that context, with a huge crowd that's enthusiastic, he speaks to his disciples. His disciples in front of this crowd. See, if you go through the Gospels, you'll see places where Jesus speaks directly to the entire crowd... And you'll also see places where Jesus speaks to his disciples in front of the crowd. That's what you got going on in Luke 12. That's why Peter says what he says in verse 41. Look at verse 41. Peter starts to get a little confused way into this sermon. And he says, Lord, raise his hand. Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or all the people? There's all these people standing there. And he says, Lord, clarify. Are you talking just to us or to everybody? So here's what I want you to understand. Whenever Jesus spoke to a crowd, he knew there are people who believe, there are people who do not believe, 
And there are people who don't know what they believe. Nothing's changed today. Sometimes he speaks to all of them at once. And other times he speaks to those who believe. And he wants everyone else to overhear it and listen in on what he says. That's what's going on. That's what's going on in these verses. And so if you're here and you're, and you're not a Christian, you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're not sure what you believe yet, listen to me. We don't want your money. This church doesn't want your money. I plan out my sermons a year in advance. This message is not here today because we're in desperate need and everybody needs to give jewelry and leave your car parked here so we can hawk it and pay our bills. This is not a, oh my goodness, we got, we don't want your money. Don't you feel better? Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your life. And after you give him your life, he'll talk to you about your money. But don't check out on me. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure what you believe, don't say, oh, okay, this is a message for Christians and believers. Sorry I came. Uh Uh-uh. Because notice, Jesus, here's what I believe. Jesus thought it would help you who are not Christians or don't know what you believe yet to understand what it means to make him Lord and to have him as your greatest treasure in this life if you were to listen in on and overhear how he talks to his followers about their money. So stay tuned in. So here we go. I've told you parables always teach one big truth. So let's get a hold of the one big truth before we dive into any particulars in case you decide to stop listening. You'll have the one big truth at least. Here's the one big truth of this parable. If you live your life and handle your money as if this world has a ceiling snapped tight shut on it with no eternity outside of that, beyond it, or above it, God calls you a fool. I'm going to say it again. If you live your life and handle your money as if this world right here, right now, has a ceiling on it and there's no eternity outside of this, beyond this, above this, God calls you a fool. That's the one big takeaway from the parable. So, what can we learn from this parable as Jesus supports that one big truth? Here's the first, number one. Money is dangerous. So you better be careful how much of it you choose to hang on to. Doesn't that sound radically different? You say, what? Everything in our culture and with our flesh just says, Get all you can, keep all you can, and get some more. Get all you can, keep all you can, and get some more. But that's not how Jesus talks. When he talks about money, he acts like it's something you should walk up to carefully, cautiously, with your mind engaged, and say, whoa, 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 this is dangerous. This is dangerous. He doesn't say it's sinful. Money's not a sin, but it's dangerous. Look at verse 15. Look at how he talks. Take heed and beware. Be careful. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. There probably could not be a more upside down statement in contrast to how our world talks and thinks and pushes. It's all get more. It's get more stuff. Get plan to get more. Find ways to get more. Wish you had more. Jesus says, No, 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 no. Be careful. Take heed. It's the same way that Paul talks as he wrote a group of Christians living in a city called Ephesus. In the book of Ephesians, he wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, he said this. But among you, Christians, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality 
or of any kind of impurity or of, say it, greed. Or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Notice, I think it's interesting, God puts these two things together. Sexual sin and greed. As both being unthinkable for Christians. As both being traps that can catch you and suck the very life out of your soul. As both being traps that can get you off track and cause you not to finish well. Cause you not to live for what matters most. Both. And the word sexual sin or impurity there is the word in the Greek, porneia. Do I need to help you know what word we get in our culture from that? Pornography. And I, don't, I hope I don't need to spend even 20 seconds convincing you of the destruction of porneia. The destruction of porneia. And how, how Satan takes something good. Sexual pleasure is good. God thought of it. And twists it outside the bounds of that with adultery and pornography and fornication and in every other way. And the destruction, the lives that you see, the minds that you see defiled, the people that you see turned into someone who thought they'd be satisfied with this, but it's never enough. It's never enough. And what they thought was a pleasure that they would control and enjoy, it starts to own them and rule them and make it its slave. Guess what? He doesn't say just sexual sin, pornea can do that to you. He says, watch out. Greed can do it. The the Greek word for greed there is pleonexia. And literally it means the annexing of more. Here's my boundaries, but I want more. I got to push out for more. I need more. I deserve more. Other people have more. I wish I had more. I'm making plans for more. The annexing of more. More. And it has the same effect, folks. That thing that you wanted so badly, that object, that item, that, and you get it. And there's this, initially there's a euphoria. So is there with sex, right? And then there's a settling of, I didn't quite do what I thought. So, so, so. Both these have the potential to lead you down a path for a lifetime just like that. It's never enough. It's never enough. It doesn't matter how much you have. You ask somebody, how much more do you need? Just a little more. You talk to people who get huge bonuses, $200,000 bonuses or $500,000 bonuses, and they'll always say, after that next bonus, I'm going to stop working the 100 hours. I'm going to... It's more, more, more. So here's what you need to understand. Jesus had a concern about both. Paul had a concern about, in the same breath, God tells us, oh my goodness, this is dangerous. Pernea and Pleonexia, both can take over your life. Both can make you its slave. You say, Brad, what's the big deal with greed? or Because think about it. If you've been in church for a while, which have you heard more messages about? Sexual sin or greed? Probably poor Naya. Oh, we know. Oh, don't want to get off track there. Oh, don't want to get in trouble there. Oh, don't want. And yet we act like this over here. Eh, greed. Maybe I'll work on that at some point in my life. I have a bunch of extra time, but whatever. God's word doesn't approach it that way. Both, both are unthinkable for Christians because both will suck the life out of your soul and make you its slave. So just like pornea or sexual sin gets its hooks into you and starts to own you and rule you, so does pleonexia. What starts off is the simple pleasure of just owning and enjoying more becomes the nightmare 
of being trapped under the suffocating weight of all this stuff and yet I need more and all this stuff and yet I need more while it squeezes the life out of you. Cornelius Platinga. Mark that down for a name for your next son if you need to. Cornelius Platinga puts it this way. He says, what if Christ returned while you're watching a porn site's live show? Wouldn't you be ashamed? But suppose he found us Not at a porn show, but at a fashion show. Suppose he found us in an atmosphere of materialism, greed, and snobbery. Is that a better theater? Are these more godly lust? Even though the clothes are on instead of off, is the whole show much less obscene? Pleonexia is the annexing of more. If I have a DVD player and 80 DVDs, but keep hankering for more, insatiably more and more, and then for still more... I'm a moral clown as a Christian. The same is true for land, cash, jewelry, and motorized toys for grown-ups. The problem is that our society thinks pleonexia is just fine. Products trigger it. Advertising assumes it. Our whole economy depends on it. And I would add, as a pastor of 30 years, and Christians all over the place live just like the rest of the world regarding that and think nothing of it. Only they add a Christian fish on the back of that bumper or whatever. But they're so guilty of pleonexia. They're constantly, what can I get next? What can I do next? What do I, it's what I don't have and what I need. Get this, just like sexual sin, the obsessive craving for more stuff puts your soul at risk. Because every possession you own, mark my words, every possession you own has the potential to own you. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying. So we need to think about how much stuff you choose to pile up and hang on to. So money is, number one, dangerous. But secondly, money is deceptive. Money's deceptive, so you better think out loud about it in front of other people you trust. Here's what I mean. Don't hear me saying, talk about your money all the time, everywhere, to everybody. Do hear me saying, I think it's time as believers that we shattered this notion of silence about money that, oh my goodness, that's the last frontier of where we're not transparent and where we don't talk to each other. It's like, oh, you would never. Like, so how much are you giving? Dude, what's that? That's no business of yours. But yet, think about the culture we're in now. How are you fighting against pornography? What have you done? What are you doing? You got your computer turned so that your wife can see it, turned so that people through the doorway can see it. What are you doing? Have you given a password to someone? We talk now today about how to fight and not be destroyed by pornea. And yet this area, God puts them together in the same breath and says, this is taking people down. This is sucking the life out of their souls. This is derailing Christians left and right. And yet we think silently, privately, we'll do well in this. I disagree. I disagree. And here's what you see. The rich fool blew it on this. Look, look at verse 17. And he thought within himself saying. He thought within himself saying. See, I think one of the biggest problems we have that gets so many Christians in trouble with their money is you just decide to work it out all by yourself in your head and you don't talk to anybody else, including God. About what you should. You say, well, Brad, who should I talk to? Start with God. 
Have you asked him? Look at this, I just got a bonus, God. Look at this, I just got a pay increase. Should we stay in the same house or should we say, woo, we gotta get a bigger house? Should we lease that bigger, nicer? Have you ever asked him or do you just automatically up your standard of living? Here's what I am convinced of. The reason believers don't give the way they ought to give is they don't live the way they ought to live. Every time they get an increase, they increase their standard of living and it eliminates the possibility of giving. And then they say, oh, we can't give. We can't give. You didn't plan to give. You, didn't, you, you have to plan and think about this to have some margin in your life so that you can get. He just worked it out. All, and here's what's interesting. Notice as he worked this out in his own mind. So he said within himself, what shall I do? Isn't it amazing how his conclusion was to keep it all? Don't look down on him. That's us. If you work it out all by yourself in your mind, it's amazing how almost always the conclusion will be, I better keep it all. I mean, you can always find a reason. You know, I'm single. So, I, you know, I don't have that much money. Oh, we just got married and we're working on getting that first house. And oh, well, now we've got teenagers, very expensive braces, college, a fleet of used cars we're trying to assure and put gas in them. You know, oh, we're in that later season. Who knows what might happen? We may need assisted living. We may have some big middle. You could find a reason at every stage of life to keep it. Your flesh is never going to rise up and say, give a bunch away. You're just like, I don't think so. We need each other's help. Just like men are going to other men saying, help me, help me. When we bring it out of the darkness and the secrecy and say, help me and put it in the light, we're sharing ideas. How are you doing this? How are you fighting to stay sexually pure? Wouldn't it be helpful if we said, how are you doing in fighting materialism? How are you keeping from consuming it all on yourself? How are you pushing back against this culture? We need to talk. But let me go ahead and say what some of you are thinking. What about Matthew 6, 1 to 4? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't sound a trumpet. You don't talk about your giving lest you lose your reward. I don't want to lose my reward. My answer, that passage, I think, has been misused for all these years and it becomes a smoke screen where Christians can continue to be disobedient because giving is in the dark and is private and nobody else talks to each other. Folks, in the same passage it says, go to your prayer closet and don't pray on the street corner. Do you ever pray publicly with other Christians? In small- yes, he's saying, don't make your motive when you give I want everyone to think how great I am because of what I gave. But it's not saying don't dare talk to anyone or let them know what you gave. If I give and I talk to you about what I'm giving and I want you to think, oh, wow, that's my reward right there. But you can talk about it in a way that you are excited. You've been freed up. You have a joy and you want others to have that. And you want to mentor and help others in the same way we help them with sexual purity? Or how, how do you do that with your wife? How, we talk about our marriages. We talk about parenting. We talk about sexual purity. We need to talk about materialism and money. Come, come out of the darkness, out of the secrecy of it all. And I think it would help us tremendously. This rich fool worked it out all by himself in his head. What about you? Have you asked God what you should do with your money? Have you sought any other godly counsel? And this is, if you've been coming here a while, then you know. I have practiced now for a while telling you 
what Vicki and I purpose to do with our money and our giving. For the very reason that I don't think I've lost my reward. I hope you know, I think it is piled up up there. Piling up. I haven't lost it because I've told you. Because I don't want to preach this way and you sit there and think, huh. wonder if he just preaches this way and he gives away about 2% of his income. He doesn't. I was taught to tithe when I was a child. I was glad I grew up in a Bible teaching church. So when I was given my first dollar, probably at six for sweeping the garage, my mom and dad said, give a dime to church. Take a dime to church. Then when I worked at McDonald's for $100 a week, I gave 10. Then when I got my first real job as a youth music guy with a full head of hair, making a whopping 20,000, I gave two and on and on I could go. But here's what happened. If you're not careful, if you were taught that to tithe, you can just snap a lid on and think, I don't need to think about giving ever again. You give the 10%, and after that, the rest is mine. That's not what you see in Scripture. In fact, the New Testament talks about grace, sacrificial giving. I just start with 10%, because that's Old Covenant, Old Testament. Good grief, if they gave that, I want to give more, because I've got grace. So about 10 or 15 years ago, we began to press and push and say, how could we increase our giving? How could we increase our giving? Now, how do we do that? We had five kids. They started to get embraces. They started to need cars. I knew college was coming. Let me tell you how we did it. We kept our living the same. The house that I bought in 1996 when you called me here for $137,000 that some of you wouldn't dare live in. There's no walk-in closets, no garden tub, no, no beautiful kitchen with thousands of cabinets. We had three girls that slept in one room, two boys that slept in another, and then we had the master suite ourselves. And they survived. I stayed in the same house and it's paid off. I didn't, and I'm so grateful. The church has actually increased my salary, quite. But we kept our living the same so that then there was this huge margin and could give more. So I can give to this church. We give about 20% of our income away every year. 15 to our church and another five to New Hope and Young Life, and prodigal ministries, and missionaries, and people who need help with a house payment because they're out of work, and people who need help with a medical bill because their insurance didn't cover it, or they don't have insurance. What a joy, but I planned for this day. Years ago, I said, I want to be able to give. I had to make decisions what I drove and where I lived to give. But folks, this life, we're just passing through, and I watch Christians, and it just grieves me. You live just like everybody else, except, praise the Lord, you sing and listen to sermons and play Christian music in your car that you spent all your money on. Don't do it. Don't do it. Money is deceptive, so I think we need help from others. to know. If money's as dangerous as Jesus says it is, and he gave 28% of the content of his parables to helping us not use it wrong, I would think we need to talk to each other about this and hold each other accountable and share ideas of how we try to stay out of debt or get out of debt or have a budget or give. Number three, money is powerless to help you with what matters most. We tend to think as soon as you say money, you light up and think all the stuff it can get. We could travel. We could, we could, we could. Let me help you. You better recognize from this passage what it can't do. Money is useless to help you with what matters most. And that is your day you're going to stand before the Lord. You're not taking any of it with you. It doesn't buy you anything. It doesn't gain you anything. Look at verse 20. Starts with a but God. But 
God, this guy just worked it out in his mind. Oh, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna take my ease. And God said, news alert, no, you're not. In fact, you're going right now. And so he said, you fool, you fool. Your soul is gonna be required of you tonight. There's only a handful of verses in the Bible where God directly calls somebody, an individual, a fool, and you got one, I'm right there. That should get our attention. And it's dealing with money. It's dealing with stuff. It's dealing with someone who got lost in the right here, right now, and all their plans for a better car, better vacations, better houses, better, better, better play. Oh, nexia. Fool. But God said, You fool. You're not taking any of it with you. And then he says, Who? And I've seen it so many times people that work, 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 work to get all this stuff, and their children squander it. You're going to leave it behind for others. Why not send a bunch of it on ahead, on ahead, on ahead? And it's not just that God needs it. He's sitting up there in his, 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 his offering boxes. So I got to have, oh, listen to me. Just like you feel so trapped and burdened and oppressed when you're caught in sexual sin. Folks, when you're caught in pleonexia, it's oppressive. It is so freeing. It's been such a joy to live these years now. My house is paid off. I can help the kids with college. Did I pay for their college? No. I think that's dumb. Work, I pay for half the tuition. That way they are not as quick to not show up at class and fail classes because they helped pay for that class. I said, I'll help you. I'll help you. I've got five kids and four already are on their way to to going through college debt-free. And I didn't save. What would I have had to save to pay for all of it? Gazillions of dollars. I looked at them as they were little and I said, please know I'm not paying for college. Go shovel a driveway, mow something, rake leaves, get it in your mind. Not paying for college. Can't. I was scrapping together enough cash to buy the next used car so we could drive in a tar station wagon with these five kids. I said, you're going to need to do something, okay? And they think, ooh, I got to. So the whole life they say, I'm going to have to pay for college. And Kelly got a governor's scholarship full paid and Harrison joined the National Guard and every single one of them God provided. And I helped. I helped. Money's powerless to help you with what matters most. And that's why Peter warns us in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Now notice what that indicates. Sojourner, pilgrim. Does it sound like you're planning on staying here long? That was weak. No. Live with a mentality of, I'm just passing through. This is Motel 6. We just barely got the light on. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to build up this big thing. I'm not staying. For unbelievers, this is good as it gets. I don't blame them for trying to have the biggest house, the best cars, the best meals out, the best vacations. Folks, you've got heaven. Every time I drive by something I wish I had, I say, that's coming. Your little lake house? Oh, man, I want that. Coming. Even better. I mean, mountain home. I'm going to have homes all over. All over the place. Not now. I'm a pilgrim and a sojourner. I live loose to the things of this world and it is so freeing. Some of you live with such tension and stress in your marriage and your home over money. 
And you'd say you don't have enough, but I would push back in so many cases, it's your choice that you think we must have cable, we must have cell phones, we must have unlimited data, we must buy Starbucks five times a week, we must, we must, must, and now we don't have money. You don't have to live at that level. But when he says, beloved, live as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. As soon as I say that word lust from 1 Peter 2.11, what kind of sins do you think? Sexual. I would like for you to never think that again from this point forward. Because, just like I've said, we're more concerned about sexual sins and we think pleonexia, greed, materialism, whatever. The word lust in 1 Peter 2.11 is simply the Greek word epi. Thumia. Thumia was a desire. Whenever, whenever they put an epi prefix in front of it, it meant intensify it. Epithumia is any desire that it's strong enough that it motivates behavior. It changes how you think, how you see the world, what you really want, why you live, and what you're living for. Folks, just like sexual sin can do all that, materialism can do all that. I think money and stuff is one of the biggest epithumias we need to battle and be alert to and be aware of and push back against. Number four, money is always tied to your heart. So you better think about where it's all going. Where your money is going, your heart is going soon if it's not already there. It's a biblical principle, axiom, You don't have to like it. You can fight against it, but you're not going to overcome it. It's a biblical principle that came out of the lips of our Savior that where your, notice, look at verse 34. I'm not making this up. Where your treasure, say it. What tense is that verb in? Present. Your heart, what? Will be also, future. So here's how I'd say it to you. The location of your money now predicts the future of where your heart and your passions will be. You're not going to break it. You're not going to be a... So where's all your money going? That's where your heart's going. See, here's what I would say. Some of you, when we talk about serving and investing our lives in this local church and, or in, in the missions and kingdom business of what God is doing around the world, some of you, if you were honest, you'd say, I just... Uh, I don't feel it. I'm just not interested. I just don't try to stir up a passion to serve in our local church or to get involved with what God's doing around the world. Let me say something you maybe hadn't thought of. Start putting more of your money there. See, some of you, the reason you have such little passion for the local church and missions is you have such little amounts of your money, maybe none of it, placed there. Reallocate some of your money, if not most of your money, towards those things and watch what happens to your heart. Think about it this way. You buy shares in GM, General Motors. You never had any shares in GM. What happens? You're thumbing through a magazine or you see a commercial, everything GM. You notice it. You read the whole article. You're tracking with it. You never saw it before, but now GM matters to you. Why? Because you have some money there. The heart follows money. So you say, well, all right, I could, I could tell you what some of your passions are. I'm not telling you you have to do this. You could just give me six months of your credit card statements. And without a conversation, I could tell you what some of your passions, where your heart is. Show me your donation statements to your local church or other things, if you have any. 
I can tell you where your heart is. You want more of your heart to be, I, I support a guy who's in an urban ministry going door to door, knocking on doors in a difficult place where it's a high murder rate, wanting to teach dads how to be a good dad. And, and he's boiled down biblical counseling in a simple way to train pastors who most of them work bivocationally. Because I give, I pray for that man. I, my heart is there when I notice that, I notice that city, anything about it. Why? I put some of my money there. Where your treasure, say it, is there your heart will be also these two things are tied together so you better consider where it's all going and number five any money you ever get is not your own it's all god's and so you better get ready for a day of reckoning now see again if you grew up in church like i did we we could if we're not careful think oh i know i'm going to give an answer for that first 10 percent, but after that It's mine. Oh, that's not biblical thinking. It's all God's. And I'm gonna give an account for all. Don't hear me saying you can't spend it. So let let me be really clear what I'm not saying, lest you go out of here and say, oh my word. I let my wife get really good haircuts. They're not cheap. So I'm not dragging my wife through life like a Cro-Magnon man. There's no haircuts. There's no makeup. You kidding me? That costs money. We're giving away it. No. No. For instance, her wedding ring, engagement ring, was so small you'd have to get a microscope to see that flick of a diamond, that little tiny. I, I, I went shirtless for a whole summer sitting on the balcony of my one-bedroom apartment not running my AC to save $500 in 1986. That's all I could do. But then I look around at girls who are getting engaged and, and they got something that looks like a headlight from a, from a car. <laughs> and so I started thinking... This is a good woman. This is a really good woman. So I was sitting there watching football one day and she wandered in and sat down and I said, would you, be, would you want a bigger diamond than what you have? And I thought she might say, oh no, this is so meaningful and precious. And, and she said, I think, yeah, I think so. And then I didn't, I, I got back into the game and I wasn't paying attention. And when the game was over two hours later, I went upstairs, she was at the computer pounding the internet. <laughs> I mean, she had done massive research. She knew the places to go. And I'm telling you what, that thing was purchased within seven days. And I'm happy for her. I mean, it, it's, it's big. It's not headlight big, but I paid thousands of dollars for it. So I'm giving away thousands and thousands. But it's not wrong to say to your baby love, you are precious and special to me. And let her have a haircut. Let her have some makeup. Let her, let her buy stuff and rugs. And so I'm not like, no spending. It's all fraternity. So there's balance. I'm investing for retirement. I have money in savings. But folks, you reach a point where how much is enough. You could say, so here's what I want to encourage you. If you choose to talk to someone you trust, make sure the people you talk to know their Bible as well as financial investment strategies. Because I'm sorry, but I find most of the time when Christians talk to financial investment people, many times they'll say, you're giving what to your church? You can't keep giving that much. Don't do that. There's a balance. I'm trying to invest in a way that if Jesus doesn't return or if I die, Vicky won't be in a cardboard box. But at the same time, he could come back next week. I don't want to have been putting so much towards investment saying, oh, that I'll say, well, I wish we'd given more. I'm trying to strike a balance with both. Just remember, it's not your own. Verses 35 to 48. Everything in those verses, you find 13 times he uses the word master, 
servant, steward. You get the gist? And there's this sense of waiting, watching, be ready. Be re- He's coming back and you've been handling his money. Be ready, be watching, be waiting, be living in a such a way that you're not ashamed. Because the rich fool blew it on this entirely. He kept saying it was, in verses 17 to 19, three verses, there are six eyes and five mys. I, 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 my, my, my. What pronouns are you most guilty of using regarding your stuff? Watch out. It's all his. He's coming and you're gonna give an account for how you used it. Hey, if you don't wanna talk about it now, listen, you're gonna talk about it then in his presence. Why not start having some conversations now? Because here's what I'm convinced of. Regardless of how you're responding right now or what you think about me, five minutes after you die, you'll know exactly how you wished you'd lived and handled your money. Why not, by God's grace, start closing that gap? It may take you some time. I know you may be in a mess. Don't keep saying, well, we're such in a mess, there's just no hope. Don't do that. Start closing the gap between what you will wish you'd given and how you wish you'd lived and what you're actually doing. So I wanna take a few minutes to give you some next steps to help you. So Brad, what would I do? What are some things I could do if I'm in trouble? Help me. Keep reading your Bible and notice how much Jesus talks about money. But secondly, consider reading this little book by Randy Alcorn, The Treasure Principle. This is my all-time favorite book to stir you up. Oh my goodness, I wanna give. Oh, I wanna give. I wanna send it on ahead. And it's interesting. Here's a man who wrote a little book called The Purity Principle because he recognized how dangerous sexual sin is, but he gets it. He gets Ephesians 5, 3, and he wrote a little book called The Treasure Principle because he understands, oh my goodness, pleonexia is killing Christians. Let's stay sexually pure and let's understand where our treasure is and how we ought to live. Consider reading this. We, we had some copies in the resource center at the first service. I don't know if they still are. Number two, consider signing up for a financial peace university. We're a church that gives parenting classes. We're a church that does all kinds of classes, but because this is so important and people get such in trouble... We offer Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. It is fantastic. Listen the next time it's offered. We give it about two times a year. Get in there because it's more than information. It's geared for real change and transformation. They don't just talk, 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 talk. They'll say, now go home and do this. Now do this next. Now do this. We've offered it for five years. 252 people have gone through it in seven classes. But here's what excites me the most. In that 10-week class that we've offered seven times... $210,000 of personal debt was paid off in those 10 weeks. That's practical help. And $145,000 was put into savings during those 10 weeks. And that enabled, for emergencies, and that enabled people also to begin to, say it, give. If you need help, get in that class. Listen for that announcement and get in there. It's real help for real people. Number three. Consider setting up your giving to our church and other ministries to be automatic. I pay my water bill, I pay the sewer, I pay everything I can automatically online with my credit card. Consider, or an electronic fund transfer. Here's why. I hear Christians and I don't want to think that they're all liars. Oh, I want to give. 
I just forget. Now you don't forget. The machine won't forget. It kicks it over there. Whether you're thinking about it or not, whether you're on vacation or not, you sit down and you say, what should we give? Now, here's the other thing that it does. Too many Christians look at all their expenses, what they think they need to do, and say, let's see what we have left. What often is left? Say it louder. Nothing. Nothing. You would be amazed if you'll start giving first more than you think you can give. In fact, I would say to you, if it's not more than you think you can give, if what you give does not affect how you live, you're not giving enough. It ought to pinch. It ought to hurt. It ought to be like, but there's a joy. You don't just give out of the margins what you have left over, tidbits. So set it up automatically. Now, here's the other thing. I know everyone doesn't agree, but I'm the speaker, so I'm going to say it. I use a credit card and I pay it off at the end of each month and it's to my advantage because I have an American Express Delta Gold and I get miles and I fly Vicky with me free when I go to teach places, but I pay it off. Last week, her, her dad had heart surgery. I flew her free to Albany to sit with her and be there a week. It's to my advantage. So I just shifted. Here's something you might want to know. So many of you may, now maybe don't even have checkbooks. Everything's with a credit card. You can give to the church and you can give to other ministries, I do, with your credit card. You can, you can go to our website now. One of these cards are over at the offering box and it'll walk you through and it is simple. I checked it out over the weekend. I said, should I talk about this or is it still in the development stages and there's all kinds of problems? They said, no, it's working. Simple, simple, simple. So I quit sending a check and it was a big one each month and I set it up that on the third of each month, Grace Fellowship gets my giving through my American Express. And now, thank you, Grace Fellowship, that's miles. And my wife will travel with me to Portland or San Diego, Lord willing. So if it's to your advantage and you don't get in church, you don't want to give to the church and then not pay it all off and pay 23% interest on top of that. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you have the discipline, like some of us drink alcohol, some don't. Because you know you shouldn't. Maybe you know you shouldn't have a credit card. But there are some that can use it to their advantage. I'm encouraging you. Use it. Set it up. You're giving automatically. And number four, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't say, oh, not now I'm high school. Oh, not now I'm single. Oh, not now we've got little kids. We're just... Start giving wherever you are now. And here's what I want you to do. One last thing. Whatever you think you're giving or wherever you think you are and how generous you are, I want you to do this assignment. If you've got something to write with or you can do it in your head, I want you to write down right now. This is not for me. You're not going to drop it in the offering box. You're not going to show it to anybody else. What percentage of your income do you think you gave away last year? Or what have you given away so far? This, for some of you, it's easy. Zero. But I want you to think and write it down. Because the second step is I want you to go home and look it up, crunch the numbers, and figure out what you have actually given. And here's why I'm saying that. You say, Brad, why are you doing that? Because I have found, after 30 years of being a pastor, what Christians intend to give and think they've given is often very different than what they've actually given. People don't mean to be liars, but it buzzes through your head. Yeah, I'm going to give. I'm going to give to that. I'm going to give to them. And it just hasn't happened. I had someone who knows me well enough that they're open with me that I had sat down and we were seven months into the year and they'd given zero. 
And this is someone who had pushed back on me about electronic automatic giving, saying, oh, I think giving and walking to the offering box on Sunday is an act of worship. Well, so much for worship. You didn't worship for seven months. He said, I just forgot. Okay, so much for work. And he set it up automatic. What we intend to do and think we've done is often very different than what we're actually. Write down what you think you've done. Go look up what you've actually done and then say, all right, Lord, help me. I I want to avoid pornea and I want to fight against pleonexia. I want to finish well. I want to live like a pilgrim, a sojourner. Where your treasure is right now is where your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Oh God, thank you for your word and thank you for speaking to us about the most important areas where we have the most struggle that you know. You know human nature, you know our sin and you know our enemy Satan. That these are two of the biggest traps where he's ruining Christians, derailing Christians, destroying Christians and rendering them useless for the kingdom. Sexual sin and materialism and covetousness and money. Oh God, make us a church family that's not just known for still saying adultery's wrong, fornication's wrong, pornography's wrong. May we be that church that also is known for it. Oh my, they are radically different in being fighting against materialism and stuff. They don't just slap Christian fish logos onto all their stuff and just chase everything like the rest of the world. They are different. God, work your good work in us and set us free to have the joy and the peace of being sexually pure and the joy and the peace of not being in the grips of pleonexia. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.